Hey, hi, welcome to Cold Turkey Podcast. This week I'm with Shay. Shay is actually, um, it was quite an exciting conversation that I had with her. Um, it was all about, you know, like resilience and taking care actually like just handling your life and, and make the best out of it. And, um, I appreciated every minute of that conversation, um, really. So, um, without further ado, here's Shay. Enjoy. Hi, Shay. How you doing? I'm great. Thank you very much. Uh, um, the first question I'm going to ask, I think it's like a, a mandatory question in these days. You know, like, how are you going through the pandemic situation right now? It's been a challenge. Let's just say that. Um, I decided to quit drinking six months ago. Um, things were just really out of control and I needed to make a change in my life. So I had January, February. So I had two months of sobriety before we went into the pandemic. And I'm really happy I started before the pandemic because I think that's what actually got me through the pandemic in a good headspace because I was just able to, um, just focus on the right things. I used the time for self-development. So I enrolled in a health coaching course. I started a business and I did a lot of reading and I just used that time to really develop myself. And it's, yeah, just being able to stay in the right headspace. And I blame a lot of that to sobriety. And um, you were telling me before we started recording, you're in Vancouver. So how are you affected in terms of, you know, like uh, either attending meetings or meeting with people? Um, you know, like, are you able now to actually meet with folks, you know, like, or, or, you know, um, yeah, what's the situation in your yeah. region? So luckily in BC, we, um, we really flattened our curve and we didn't actually confirm that many cases. So we reopened pretty early. We reopened mid-May. Um, I was back in the gym and the first of June. So it actually, the pandemic really only lasted like March and April. And then we went back to normal life in May. And since then I have not been to a meeting yet because the meetings are the one thing that are actually still on hold. Um, but I've been able to reconnect with my sponsor as well as multiple, um, like influences in my life. So I have been able to, kind of shift back into like my supported lifestyle but all things considered like we are still missing some aspects of my support system absolutely and and you know like um we're um here in quebec it's it's uh let's call it a shit show pretty much you know like so yeah <laughs> it's all over the place um the the kind of the rules of conduct of the fraternity themselves are are kind of I was just reading that right now, you know, like the, the, um, the Quebec government is actually, um, requiring and, and it's going to be, you know, like a law to wear the mask, uh, on, on any public closed, um, um, public space, you know, so, so any shopping mall store, uh, anywhere, I mean like the drugstore and, and so on. And so obviously, um, we're all either alcohol or drug addicts. 
that are fighting over, you know, like, what the fuck are we going to do if someone comes in and doesn't want to wear his mask? And, you know, like, exactly. And, you know, like, obviously, we're not coming, we all come from different part of, you know, like our own background, which we're going to discuss about your own, but, you know, um, we're pretty much all, well, if we were stubborn enough to almost kill ourselves with fucking drugs, you know, like, I guess, so like, you can imagine the kind of argument you can have with someone wearing a freaking mask, you know, like, so it's, it's so weird, you know, like seeing that, um, like the, 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 um, I, I talked a lot about this, like the difference between, you know, like, uh, meeting with someone or even attending a meeting in zoom, has nothing to do with, you know, like meeting with people and giving hugs and, you know, like um, getting close, the, you know, like the, the intimacy of, you know, like the, the actual meeting on site one-on-one and one-to-many meeting is, is there's nothing that compares to that. So then, so you have that, you know, like that Zoom meeting, which, you know, like kind of fills some gaps, but not completely. Um, and now we're kind of in a limbo of, okay, so what do we do? You know, like, do we take the risk? You know, like, should we, as a... Um, you know, like what's common sense here? Um, we're pretty much not common sense people. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so, you, we're finding ways to fight norm- normalcy, right? Exactly. You know, like, you know, like, how our brains work. And, and I hate the fucking expression that's the new normal, but, you know, like, it's pretty much it. You know, like, there are people that I guess the fuse has burned. You know, like that, and I, you know, like it's kind of a comical expression for, you know, like the the, the paranoia takes over everything. Um, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. You're not gonna fucking die. You know, like there's, you know, like if you read enough, and you know, like you you don't get kind of swallowed by that that tsunami of weird misinformation traveling the the, the network. Um, the media, the all the everything, you know, like chaos. Yeah, of everything. it's just crazy, and it's funny because one of my guests, um, which was Remy a few weeks uh, past, um, actually works as a as a radio host and uh, in, in in the region in northern region of Quebec, and he was telling me that you know, like it was it, it's actually hard to uh, separate, you know, like those things which are more opinionated than objective facts, you know, and, and then trying to, you know, dissociate one from another. And, and yeah, I mean, like, it's a, it's a weird situation. So super happy to know that, you know, like at least, you know, like there are some light at the end of the tunnel and, um, great. So. Yeah, exactly. But I just want to touch on that. And like where you said, like the zoom meetings compared to the in-person meetings, like when you're in an in-person meeting, there's an energy in that room that you absorb and it's so motivating. And it's just, you don't get the same on face, like uh, via technology. Absolutely. Um, so I'm really happy that for the most part, most organizations did try to do something to make up for the lack of in-personal or sorry, in-person meetings. But I'm really excited for those to kind of come back. (laughs) And I really, 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 I'm excited to hear everyone else's like in my meetings, their stories about how they stayed sober and made it through the pandemic. So, And, and one thing that people don't say enough is that, and it was the case for me, um, through the definition of an higher power, um, that room where you had all kinds of drug addicts and people that you wouldn't fucking trust giving a dime <laughs> exactly combined together made us sober 
And so for it's me, so powerful. Exactly. And so for me, my first definition of an higher power was actually that room. Now, within Zoom, I can actually, I, I probably have a much harder time um, addressing my higher power to that Zoom room. Um, exactly. You know, so, so even in your own belief system, it messes up something there, you know, like, so, so, and I know that many people, have, you know, like having a hard time with religion or any dogma um, would use that first example of look at that, you know, like we're in a church basement. It's, 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 you know, like it, it's not inviting, but through some kind of freaking magic, all of us, you know, like with our junkies and, 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 you know, like, um, and drunks, we get together and, you know, we stay sober. So our toxic mentalities bringing together, it's just gives us like this insane power to overcome it. Exactly. So, um, so a lot of sponsors have, you know, like guided, you know, like the newcomers into defining their higher power in that physical room. Um, now losing that physical room, there's, there's other questions and other, um, facet that you need to explore and, you know, I like can helping both the newcomer and even me 15 years in, you know, like it's, uh, okay. So what's, what's the higher power? Where's the higher power now? You know, like not what it is. And, you know, like I, I understand it's pretty much the energy of these, you know, like I, that, that, that fucking podcast helped me define <laughs> that fucking podcast helped me define, um, that, you know, like if you come back to the root of it all, and it's funny because I started doing those, those YouTube research on, you know, like the foundation of both AA and NA. And, um, at the end of the day, all it need, all it needed was one drunk calling a, you know, like a, a, a Bill W calling a Dr. Bob saying, I'm fucking desperate for a drink. Please let me go talk to you. And that was yeah. it. You know, AA was founded of a desperate drunk that would kill for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> you, and it's, that, it's amazing how we are using that power to the benefit of us. Exactly. Because for, I don't know how long you were caught up in alcoholism and drugs, but for me, it was 10 years of, I allowed this power to defeat me. And then I finally got to the point where I can alter this power to project me into my future. Yep. And so, without further ado, let's go into uh, Shay's storybook and open the first chapter. You you kind of lead me into, you know, like, where do we start this? You know, like, what's the, you know, like, maybe your, you know, let's start with that. You know, like, what would be your first memory of either you using or being witness of some, um, I would say, marginal using around you? Perfect. So I'm really excited to share this because I don't think a lot of people, um, one, know this about me or even know that it's possible to happen. So I was born into a really unstable and toxic family. Um, my dad got together with a drug addict. So my mom was unfortunately a drug addict. <clears throat> um, so she quit doing drugs. As far as I know, she quit. She sobered up for two years and then she had me and my brother and some things kind of, you know, life got screwed up. She had two little kids. Her and my dad weren't getting along. So she, she relapsed. And she, so I remember being in, I don't know, grade school, maybe grade two or three. And we used to have to drive through um, 
like skid row basically to go find my mom on Christmas and stuff. So that was my, I was exposed to addiction at a really young age, but I obviously wasn't aware of the disease and how it affected my family and why it was affecting my family. So my dad did his best to protect us from the information that would have, you know, defeated us. Um, but how I think was it he, explained? How was it explained to you? Do you remember? I remember perfectly. So I was in grade six. Um, it was a school counselor. I was just starting to face mental health issues and body image issues. I was uh, becoming really, really, really depressed. And um, it was just after basically my mom had sobered up when I was 11. And from the age of two till 11, I was raised by a nanny, basically. I, I, she, I look at her as a piece of my family, but she was hired by my dad to take care of me and my brother. And so she basically, my mom sobered up. We sat in the living room as a family. I remember the night perfectly. And the nanny that I had known as my mom for 10 years, basically, told me that she was leaving and my mom was coming back. And that was grade five. And then um, I started obviously uh, negatively reacting to it. And I started, um, I, be, I had behavior issues and I had depression issues. So it was in grade six, a uh, school counselor brought me into the room and told me my mom was a drug addict. That's that was it. the delivery. Bam. That was it. Didn't explain addiction. Didn't explain to me, um, the trials and tribulations that my mom may have been through, like didn't break it down in any way other than your mom was a drug addict and now she's back. So I took it really hard because I uh, perceived it in a sense that my mom left me for drugs. And this was before I understood the mental turmoil that drug addicts face every day. Um, so do you feel that, that do, do you, do you, um, do you remember any treason feeling from your dad not to have told you? I did. Yeah. I felt like I felt betrayed because he had protected us. Like he was out. Of, he didn't know any better, obviously. For he sure. protected no, us no, no. from information that could have hurt us. Yeah. But I wish I was more, I wish he was more ex explanatory in the sense of explaining to me like the, obviously I was young. I was 11. I was in grade yeah. six. How do you explain to a child what addiction is? I don't know, but if it was delivered in a sense, even if it was delivered from my dad, somebody who I trusted, somebody who I knew, somebody who was, you know, a part of my life, it would have been a lot different. Um, I don't know why that counselor told me that day. I don't know if it was my parents who told the counselor to tell me. I don't ask those kind of questions, yeah. <laughs> but basically, yeah. And it sent me into this victim mind state, basically. And I was... I started drinking the next year. I was exposed to alcohol at home because like my mom, she would go out and have, so after she sobered up from drugs, she was on, I don't know what drug she was. I did. Like I said, I don't ask those questions, but she lived a really toxic life basically. And then when she came back, she was sober for two, like completely sober for two years, but she started drinking and, um, she moved in with my dad and then eventually she moved out in with my who's now my stepdad. And unfortunately my stepdad was an alcoholic. So she came back and obviously she, her self-esteem was really low. She didn't think that anybody was going to love her. So she ended up falling into a very codependent relationship. 
And I was exposed to the alcoholism because my dad, my, or sorry, my stepdad was an alcoholic. So I stole their alcohol when I was in grade seven. And that's when I started drinking. Any brothers and sisters in that environment? I have a brother who's 13 months apart and I have a sister who's actually 10 years younger than me. So my mom, she actually, I had no idea that my mom was pregnant. I remember this was in grade four. I got a, off of school and my nanny picked me up and she said that I have a little sister. So all of these things were sure. delivered to me in yeah. such like a stark, like overwhelming way. Um, but I was really excited. And after my mom had my sister, um, my sister was taken away because my mom was still on drugs, but she, my sister was born on March 16th, 2005. And my mom sobered up on March 28th, 2005. So she's been clean off of drugs since then. And so, um, in terms of your, you said your brother is a few months away from you, how did he deal with it? I'm asking this just because, you know, like sometimes, you know, like it's completely different, you know, like there, there are two, sometimes even a positive reaction to those situations. Which exactly, that's exactly what happened. So I reacted in a very volatile and toxic way. He reacted in a very internal way. So he stayed home. He didn't go to school. He didn't have any friends. He got into computer games and he was very, very quiet, very, very depressed. Um, me on the other hand, I just outraged. Basically I, I got found the wrong group of people loved it. I knew I was from, you know, like a toxic family. I knew I was from an addict and I basically used that as an excuse to allow myself to start following into those footsteps. Um, I used this one quote and I hate it because I, I almost got it tattooed on me and I'm so happy I didn't, but I used to call myself a product of my environment. And I look back on that now and I just look at that as an excuse for me to be acting the way that I was. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you know, like it's, it's, um, you just said it, you know, like there are pretty much like two ways in reacting, which is like the implosion and the explosion, you know, like there's the exactly, <laughs> you know, I had the explosion. My brother did the implosion. Exactly. But it's, it's actually really funny because today we're the opposite. So when I was 17, my grandparents passed away and they were a really big part of mine and my mom's and my stepdad's and my brother's life. And my mom and my stepdad started aggressively drinking. Like it was, my stepdad was all, already an alcoholic and now they had an emotional motive to basically send themselves over the edge. And unfortunately my mom slipped down with him and they would come home at two in the morning, like hammered. And I was starting to drink a lot with them. And then I woke up one day on January 29th, 2013, 2012, no, 2013. And, um, I decided to quit drinking. I had been living this volatile, um, negative, toxic lifestyle 
drinking. I, there was, I think when I was 15, there was three months straight that I drank every day and I woke up and like my liver hurt and it was, it was awful. And I started dabbling with cocaine when I was 14 and that became really prevalent in my party days. And like, it was just, it was awful. So I woke up one day, had an epiphany when I was 17. Um, and I quit drinking for a whole year until I was 18. And in that year, I watched my mom and my stepdad throw away so much of their like stability. Life. That, yeah, exactly. Life that it was, it was really motivating for me to keep going. But then I got to the point where it had been a year and I didn't know the ins and outs of addiction and alcoholism because still nobody explained it to me. Yeah. And I started drinking again. I told myself I was ready. And within three months I was doing cocaine and sniffing rails and partying for four days straight. Can you bring me back to that first drink? You know, like just, just, um, little step back on, you know, like you said that you, you pretty much you know, like snatched alcohol from, from, from your parents, but can you, um, can you bring me back to that day or to that moment, you know, like, and, and it was there like, something for you in terms of, you know, like an immediate feeling of something, you know, like some, some it's not at all. Um, some it's just like, you know, like it's night and day it, when they start. It using. was, yeah. Like it was, it was basically like, as soon as I drank, I felt numb and I felt like I was a part of something. I finally felt like I was like, it, cause I went out with like a group of friends and I was the one who brought the alcohol. So like, I thought I was like, you know, the cool one now, like yep. people care about me and it just made me feel inferior. And it made me because drinking was so prevalent in my family life that like, I thought that was like something that I should glamorize because it was what my parents and everybody, like it was normal. So I thought that me starting early was a cool thing or whatever. And, but it, but um, it's a time, but, but it's a time share where, you know, like chugging is fucking, you know, like you're, you're the best one because you chug so fast and you're exactly. the best one. You know, like I, I, who was, who was I having that conversation that, you know, like, no, it's, it's going to be released on the next Saturday, but you know, um, I was having a conversation with James and he was telling me how much not cool it was to be a nerd, you know, like, and, exactly. you know, like, and, 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 and I had, I was gifted. I should have been gifted in school, but I, I was so, well, first of all, I was scared shitless of, of using, I don't know why. Well, I know why my parents, because I was, because I was so, uh, school was so easy for me. They gave me a lot of reading to do to kind of, you know, like not so that I waste my time at school. So, so from, you're more challenged, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I started reading yeah. like really, really early, um, huge fucking books, you know, like Moby Dick, which is like thick, like three, four inches thick and, you know, like huge books. And then eventually, but way too young, my, my parents and my aunt brought me like the, I don't know. I don't know if in English it's the same title, but it's Christian F, which is Christian F. She's like a lady that's from Europe, and she, you know, like by by, I think by the middle of the book, she actually shoot herself Aaron and eyes, and you know, like it's fucking crazy. Oh my you know, gosh. like I think she <laughs> even dies. I think that that book she dies in it. You know, like so so she starts with a joint, and then eventually <laughs> she fucking exactly. dies. You know, like so. 
and way too young. You know, like I, I read, there's another one called uh, Blue Herb, L'Herbe Bleu, which is like the same thing, you know, like super like fat fatalist um, story. So drug for me was, I couldn't touch that. You know, like I would, I would die. Um, but in terms of alcohol, there was no issue. But um, when I say no issue is that I could drink how much I wanted. Um, at the same time, um, it wasn't cool to be uh, a first in class. It wasn't, you know, like it, it wasn't the, um, these, these people, the nerd ones were like the, the. Nobody out, wanted to do the anything outcasts. to do with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's the outcast, which is fucking odd because you know, like these. <laughs> it's crazy to me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now a self-learning guy that, you know, like had a hard time completing college because I was, um in my rebellious mood, I ended up in art, which m doesn't make any fucking sense, but it does. Um, but, you know, like I was bad at arts, but I loved arts where, you know, like I learned super fast that, you know, like you, you not only had to be loving it, but you had to be good at it. So I quit after a session. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that, you know, like, Technology runs in my blood. My father was in technology. He's, he's still in technology at 71 year old. And, you know, like I, sh I should have just followed that path. Well, eventually my career now is in technology and, you know, like it should have been that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I couldn't go to college in technology because, my, well, my grade were shit. And, you know, I. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. And at the same time, you know, like I, 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 I love the fact that you say that, you know, like, um, the quest for identity, you know, like you find it in any matter possible, in any ways possible, you know, like, so, especially so. like I was like, I didn't get like the norm. My dad was a commercial fisherman. He was out for months at a time. He'd come in for a few days and he was out for months at a time. So I didn't get that like stability and that nurturing and that attention. So mm -hmm. I started seeking it in such like negative ways. And I found that attention with drinking Yep. and especially starting at such a young age, um, I thought I was the superior and everybody thought I was the superior. So it fueled my addiction because I, it just, it made me, it, it filled the void. Yep. It totally filled the void. And looking back at it now, I'm like, why in school is self-esteem, self-love, confidence? Like, why are those things not taught about? But it's why not cool. It's not cool, Shay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but why? Like, it's, it's, it's so, I, it's so I, weird. You know, like it, for me, it's, it's such a weird time because we're precisely at that time where, you know, like I, I, you're, you're, you, you so don't know what you are and who you are and where you're going. And so at the same time, you're being asked those fucking questions almost every day. Where are you going? What are you? Who are you? You know, like, and you're like, I don't fucking know. You know, like, so. And it constantly makes you feel like a fucking failure. Yeah. And so you, and you look around and you're like, okay, well, these nerds with their glasses and their fucking books. I don't want to be that because everyone's <laughs> laughing at that. Um, and then those trashy little, you know, like, ugh, not. And so you kind of stay in the middle um, wearing the same clothes of one group. You know, it's such a weird, weird, weird time. You know, um, we're being asked to decide if something 
that you don't even know before you're almost 20. You know, like, okay, so you want to be a doctor? You're fucking 14. You know, it's like, I guess so. You know, like, you know, like, whatever, you know. And so um, for me, it's a, it's a weird time. At the same, you know, like on, on the same token, you're right. You know, like the, the, those are not, um, there's not enough time spent by school um, into kind of talking about these things. You know, like, um, sure enough, you know, like the, the schoolyards kind of, you know, like, you know, like the, what's cool and what's not, you know, like is something and God knows, you know, like how much the influence of your BFF has so much more weight than a fucking course on, you know, like if you had a course on self-esteem, you'd say, ah, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so God knows what would happen if it, if it, if it took place. But at the same time, uh, I, I don't know what's the solution to that. You know, like it's a, it's a tough time, especially if, if it's unstable at home, you know, like I, I was, I was um, lucky enough to have like a, a stable home place, even though there was a lot of dysfunction. Um, but, you know, like it, 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 for someone that even when, you know, like they, they step a foot out of that kind of turmoil, which is not really knowing where you're going, and then you turn around and your household is just a fucking mess, you know, like I, I guess, you know, like it makes even matter, you know, like more difficult and more challenging. Um, so yeah, and I mean, you're kind like, of like forced to like go seek the answers on your own. Exactly, which is like bad, bad, bad. It's scenario. way too easy to find the wrong answers. <laughs> well, they're, they're, well, the well, the lowest hanging fruits are bad, so bad solutions. You know, like the so so you know, like yeah, I mean, like the 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 yeah, the lowest hanging fruits are actually the. the mostly the bad answers you know so so you you turn around and you look at the easy way because you know like you're you're probably tired exhausted you know like fed up and you're like well looks like these guys are having a pretty a good, good time, time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's try that you know like let's go and try that and then um yeah i mean like it's it's um I always think a lot about this because the like the outcasting of the people that have success for me it's still like uh i still don't understand it um and and it I, it lasts so you know like it, it's such a short lasting period where the cool people are still cool you know like not you know like from 15 to 17 after 17 and 18 years old you're a fucking loser you know like so exactly. that <laughs> you don't even talk to those people who you gave a shit about five or three years ago right exactly so why is like society and like the public school system, I don't know how it is in private school. I feel like it might be a little bit more stable and structured. But I've heard horror stories there too. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's not give anyone credit. <laughs> but nope. it's just these things. And I hope in the next like 10, 20 years, like it's like, it's more educated about, I guess, like, but it's crazy to me. I really, really, really want to do um, like mentorship work with at-risk youth because if I had a mentor when I was going through all of this, just somebody to tell me that what I was doing was wrong because my parents weren't going to tell me that because they were doing the same fucking thing. Exactly. So, and, and yeah, I'm, and my guess is, you know, like my 
outside adult authority that I had was my piano teacher and he was a coke addict himself you know like so so you know he was a drunk bringing me beer on every saturday morning um i mean we would chug a beer for my piano lesson you know like so so exactly and that was the one person who you looked at as stable right well that i could actually you know like tell stuff that i couldn't tell my parents you know like so it was that guy bringing me like a large one point eight liter beer every Saturday morning. You know, like, the, what are they called? The the 40 ounce? The 40 ounce, yes. <laughs> so I would have a, a 40 ounce hungover, supposedly having a, a piano lesson. And and well, it was cool because you know like a lot of people don't have that. Um but at the same time that guy was not necessarily a success story himself. You know like so so yeah, I mean, like it's it was super tough, and and um, and my guess is, you know, like so. Um, just to get back on on your own story, um, how how does um, high school finishes? You know, like are you are you good? You know, like do you finish high school on a good note? No, I actually ended up dropping out of high school. I okay. dropped out in grade eleven, and it was actually that year that I was seventeen. Where when I was in grade eight. I was kicked out of my um, like public school and I was put into alternative school because I had really bad attendance problems. And going into alternative school, the guardian support, like the teachers there were phenomenal, but throw a bunch of delinquents under one roof and see what happens. Like yeah. I was introduced to all the wrong people. I was, you know, I just, I found a bunch of people now who drink, a bunch of people now who are using, a bunch of people now who are skipping and going through that. So that was grade eight, grade nine, grade 10 and halfway through grade 11. So it worked for me for the first four, three, four years because I, I was still in that mentality, but after I turned 17 and I sobered up for that one year, I decided to drop out of high school because I didn't want to be around the people. Because you knew. I knew. So I always, whenever I like give anybody like a, you know, like a supportive talk or try to give insight to like a young girl who's struggling with the same shit that I struggled with, I always say that voice in the back of my head, it was always there. I just never nurtured it. And as soon as I like, I sobered up, I quit school. I still had that voice in the back of my head. And even after I started drinking again, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I felt because I had been sober for a year, I was in control. So it's, they say like the, you know, the devil and the angel on your shoulder. Yep. They're constantly out of battle. They're constantly battling. And some days I would pay more attention to the devil. And some days I would pay more attention to the angel. And it wasn't until I started journaling and doing a lot of like self-awareness work that I realized that my energy, like, just first of all, I realized that where you put your energy is where your life will grow. And then I started, you know, talking to myself and just doing all this uncovering and into my life. And I started recognizing these habits and these routines and these toxic behaviors that I have. And it's just taken a ton of journaling to basically get to where I am today. Because like when I was 17, I quit drinking, started drinking just before I turned 18. 
Um, and then I turned 19 and 19 is a legal age here in BC. So that was just like another motive. Like now floodgates. I'm legal age floodgates. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The door yep. opened for me. Exactly. <laughs> and it was so easy because drinking is such, and this is what drives me absolutely crazy. It's such a social part of society. It's, you cannot get away from it. So being a teenager and trying to identify as an alcoholic, I, I want, like, I fought that thought. I didn't want to identify as an alcoholic because I didn't want to, I don't know. I didn't want to sell myself short. I didn't want to admit it. It was the nerd thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my ego is too big. My head's too big yep. for my body. Yeah, no, no, but it, it it was it's not cool, you know. Like it, exactly, it, it's just not cool because you know, like you're you're showing yourself with with some, um, which um which um defects, you know, like pretty much, you know, like so. Um, how are you going to handle? Can you imagine, Shay? You know, like I work and I talked about this with James. Like he's a real estate agent. I'm a technology sales guy. You know, like so yeah. sales by definition means that there's alcohol involved. Um. There are expression called wine and dine, which is like the, you know, like sitting up on a lunch and, and, and having the drink so that you can, you know, like smooth out your sales process. You know, like, um, the golf thing, you know, like I'm not a golfer at all. I hate fucking golf, but you know, like this is another thing that, you know, like you, you take a beer, you know, like you enjoy your time. And, and I would say that 90% of the time that I get closer to a customer or, you know, like they'd say, oh, let's discuss this over a drink at lunch exactly why are you like it, that is absurd to me like why do it you is. need to discuss it over a drink yeah and it's it's a it's the best social lubricant ever you know like it, it, it for everyone um people kind of don't know a lot of people are comfortable and I don't want to go into that kind of warms of saying that it's their own issues that you're bringing up when you're saying that you don't drink. You know, like I, I don't fall into that. You know, like I don't want to have that discussion for me. It's just, it's worthless because I, it would, it would have been worthless for me, my, for myself. You know, like I, 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 you know, like I've never, that's, that's ironic, but I've never crossed path to someone that was an alcoholic and, and, um, that that was in sobriety you know like so so yeah. when i was using myself when i was active but i would have been a fucking asshole with that guy i yeah. know i would have been a prick just come on man why not bah you know like all, you know, <laughs> me too you're like chug 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 exactly chug. Like, exactly the same thing like last year i was trying to find a softball league The only softball leagues that I could find were beer leagues. Yeah. That would, you know, that were suitable for my age. All of the other ones were 40 plus or 18 below. Yeah. And then as soon as you get to like the 19 to 30, all there is is beer league. And I just, I, it, why? Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, I remember that my first year of sobriety, I was traveling to, um, in Florida and, uh, it was during the, fourth of july vacation time and and uh i actually attended a meeting i think like a day prior to the fourth or two days prior to the fourth just it was a discussion 
model meetings, which means that, you know, like everyone at the table had their say and, you know, like they had a few minutes. And I remember losing my shit, you know, like saying, you guys are fucking morons. You know, like there's alcohol and beer marketing everywhere. You encourage people to drink. Why the hell? And like, you, you, I'm, I'm. That's exactly like, what runs through my mind. I was, I'm so I've, fragile. You know, like I'm so. Exactly. <laughs> I feel now weak. that I've like felt the benefits and watched how my life has changed, even in the last six and a half months, like I've come so far. And it's like, I wish I could share my story with everybody on this planet and yep. empower them not to drink. Yeah. To just curb alcohol altogether because it damages ourselves, it damages our brain, it damages our social circle. I lose shit all the time. I remember one New Year's Eve, I it was probably five years ago, I was maybe 20 or 21. Um, I lost my my dad had bought me this beautiful six hundred dollar Calvin Klein jacket, and it was like a pea coat, it was gorgeous. And I woke up the next morning and it was gone. And I called the bar that I was at and it wasn't there. And that, I think that year I I actually might've quit for six months, but then whatever it was brought me back into it. So, yeah. And so, um, I, I, I tend to usually ask that question about, you know, like, do you have, and because you've stopped for a, a full year, um, you know, like I, I, you, you, you're helping me in in that question. But you know, like, do you remember waking up hungover and starting to see that seed germinating of that can't be it? You know, like that can't be my life. Um, where where does it start? You know, like you kind of waking up and saying that's a fucked up life that I can sustain. And I think it started in grade ten with a teacher that I had at the alternative school. So her name was Janice and she was like heaven sent. She, she explained addiction to me. She, you know, broke down mine and my mom's relationship. She advocated for us. She was supportive with us. She helped us communicate with each other and she really shined on my potential. And I actually had a teacher in grade seven as well, Miss McKay. And I think those two women instilled in my brain that I I was better than the shit that I had come from. And like I said, it was that little voice in the back of my head. And then like when I was 17, I had that epiphany. I woke up and I was just, I was watching my family deteriorate in front of me. And I knew that something had to change. And then I went for a year. I decided I was better. I still didn't understand the ins and outs of addiction and alcoholism yep. and I wasn't able to call myself an alcoholic because I hadn't come to terms with it. So did you so, know of that? Did you know at the time of the fraternities of, you know, like any, any AA or NA, you know, like, did you know of these? I mean, based on your mom's, you know, like uh sober time and, you know, like she didn't attend any meetings. So you didn't know about that. I think she did, but she wasn't open with her situation. She wasn't, me and my mom didn't form a stable relationship until I was about 19 or 20. So I, me and my mom, I outlashed at her. I had 
intense anger against her. We didn't get along all through my teenage years. I still apologize to you. I love you, mom. Um, but yeah, we, we just, we didn't get along. So she wasn't, we just didn't communicate about it. So it wasn't like she could come up to me and be like, Hey, what you're doing is, you know, you're, you're starting to follow in my footsteps because we just didn't have that relationship. I never gave her the chance to be honest. And then yeah, I don't know. Like, and then I, like 17, I quit and then I started again. And then I, ever since then, I, because I saw how much I improved my life in that one year, that's what's been building up to like me being sober now. And right now it's lifetime and it's going to be lifetime. Like I will never, ever, ever look back on my previous life. And I, I mean, never say never people crack but I feel the strength in my, in my soul, in my spirit, in my whole body that I know after watching the trials and tribulations of my family, me, my brother now, that's what I was actually going to get into. So when I started sobering up and bettering my life, my brother actually started going in the other direction. So unfortunately, um, he is still struggling with alcoholism and addiction and, um, it's hard for me to see, but it's like, it's crazy how two people can respond to two things so differently. And I think like I had three huge mentors in my life and they really shined on my potential. And I think that's what really helped me change my focus. And and they pushed me and they supported me. And every time I fell down and I got back up, they were just always there for me. I don't think my brother actually had that because looking back, like he went into commercial fishing as soon as he was out of high school. So that was 18 and commercial fishing. It's a lifestyle behind it. Like addiction and alcoholism is super prevalent in that industry So I wish, I wish he had that little voice in the back of his head too, but we're all on our own journeys. Right. And, and I mean, by inspiration and guidance, um, you, you know, like how do they say in English, you know, like the, the, um, lead by example, not by publicity and, you know, like, you know, like, so my guess is that, you know, like that, you know, like without knowing you, like you may, you may transform into his own Jiminy cricket, you know, like, so, so <laughs> exactly. fingers. Like I'm always putting that energy out there and like, you know, he goes through his ups and downs too, but like the difference was with me is that I sobered up multiple times. Um, not to say that like me sobering up and then relapsing is any better than him just going through, you know, his situation, but I think because I saw how my life changed when I was sober for that year, when I was 17, I had that motivation and I had that support in the back. And and that's like, he right now, he's not even at the admitting point. He won't even admit that he has a problem. Which is, which is to be quite fair. I mean, like those are the best times of your life. Totally. Because he doesn't feel like a failure yet. (laughs) Exactly. You know, like, so for me, it's just like, you know, like I I tend to uh, not argue, but, you know, like the the people that say, you know, it was always bad. You know, no, 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 no. You know, like 
please remember those phenomenal time you had exactly. being we hammered. Had some good you know, times, didn't we? We had we had a fucking blast. Fuck you know? yes. <laughs> big time, you know, like and a long time. It's just that when it got bad, it got bad. Exactly. Bad, bad, bad. And to I this shared sorry, you go ahead. No, no, but what I was saying is that to this day, I'm my wife will kindly say that I'm a passionate guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so passion is or lovingly translation to fucking OCD, <laughs> you know, because, you know, like she, she says, you know, like when he's looking for something, you know, like you can believe that there are, you know, like I don't know how many reviews that he looked and searched for. And, you know, like so he's buying the best of and or, or you know, like I, I don't have one barbecue. I have four. You know, I don't have, you know, like so, you know. I I still am an all in a f- full hundred percent throttle guy, yeah. um, which makes me a successful, um, which makes my career successful for sure. Mm-hmm. At the same it's time, just, you know, it like, really depends where you invest that energy, right? Exactly. Where where do you canalize it? And you know, like you say, okay, this is the channel in which I can invest, and and and, and if one sucks me too much and and it 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 kind of neglects the the family part or the you know like the well okay this is you know like unhealthy but you know like the, there is way i think there is ways to balance that and to actually embrace that freaking fire exactly and so that's what that's when i say you know like when we had a blast we had a major blast when it started doing going bad, because it obviously is going to go bad, you know, like you're going to run out of cash, energy, sleep, <laughs> everything, food. you're going to run out of something, um, knowledge, mental it, power. Well, yeah, exactly. When your brain's jello and you know, like you, um, and it goes quick, you know, like as anything. And, and I don't know if you're like that, but you know, like I'm the kind that, you know, like will do that, that, um, go you know, like a hundred percent to something and, you know, like go over it. And, and when I'm done, I'm done, you know, like it's almost like burned and I'm like, okay, next, you know, like what's the next challenge here? You know, like, so, exactly. and so, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, you know, like for me, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, like it, it, we're, we're, we're all in people. And my, my guess is that right now your brother is having a blast and, you know, like good for him because those were great days. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Enjoy while it lasts, you know. Exactly. But just remember that eventually it does come to an end. It does exactly. crash and burn. And yeah. I mean, and I so, hope he doesn't crash and burn that hard. <laughs> no, exactly. And and you don't. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you hope for the best and you wish that, you know, like I... Um, in my case, um, even though there was some alcoholism in my family, no one knew about like a way to um, save your ass. You know, like so. Exactly. So, so my parent, my my father was actually told by my ex um, that you know, like I needed to go to therapy, but it, they didn't know shit about therapy. You know, like so they sent me to therapy without knowing really where I was going and what I was going to attend what issues um, you had and what type of therapist you exactly should be seeing so they they introduced me to the fraternities the different fraternities you know like the aa dna which i didn't know 
again, you're like, I didn't know apart from maybe some movies, you know, like, you know, (laughs) exactly. That's the only place that, because it's so taboo to talk about. Exactly. So, and that saved my life. Um, at the same time, you know, like, uh, you know, like I, I keep the perspective of your brother, you know, like knowing that there is someone that knows about this is great because, you know, like, uh, um, well, my son is 23 and, you know, like he's, he's, he's full blown right now, you know, like all in. And, you know, like my guess is like, he's not doing fantastic. We don't talk much, um, but he knows, you know, like he has a 15 year uh, sober dad and you know like he, he met and you know he attended some of my celebration of uh, sobriety time that's and, awesome you See, know like, I, so I, I can't say my mom didn't I remember going to a couple AA meetings when I was maybe when I was a teenager but she never explained to me what I was going to why I was going to it why she was going to it I just kind of went okay we're sitting in a circle and they eat and then we go home. Like, right. Yeah. So it's a lot of, I just wish that it was more educated about. And like I say, like with, like with mental health and just building up your self-esteem and being aware of addiction and not looking at it as like a taboo, like awful thing. Like right now. And I think it might be across Canada. I know in BC for sure, they're trying to decriminalize um, drug use and drug possession because they're now admitting that it's more of a healthcare issue. Yeah, exactly. And, and I totally, I totally agree with that. You know, like, yeah. and, and um, the other thing is that you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to an, quite an interesting expose of the foundation of NA, and um, one of their hypotheses is that at the time in the in the 30s and 40s. Um, because the medical um, kind of the medical associations were so hard on on keeping people on drugs, so they would replace. I think it, they would, you know, like they they invented more uh, heroin to uh, pretending that it wasn't addictive uh, to get rid of morphine, for example, and then they invented, you know, like and so on and so forth. Exactly. Um, and at the time when the, those first fraternities started getting together. Um, the first one was actually called Addic- uh, Addicts Anonymous, and then it became Narcotics Anonymous. But Addicts Anonymous, um, what they one of their hypotheses is that you know like the 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 anonymous piece of it was actually because well there was f- for sure there was the labeling of you know like people, but they wanted to be careful with that. But not only that, but um, they had groups arrested because they were getting together and getting better. Um, it's so, and so sad. Be, yeah, and so and and so that guy in his expose was actually saying there may be great reason why it was anonymous at the time. It's because they would make sure it was so secretive because they would make sure that they wouldn't get arrested, exactly, uh, and locked down. And so, um, some eighty years later, is it still? as important or vital as it was back in the days to keep that piece of the anonymity uh even though i understand the first part which is like you know like i can share and freely and you know um but that that second part which is like exposing what it is to the outside world um i'm definitely of that of that camp of you know like just saying guys you know like this is an open 
because I've spoken to your my 96 person, which I sit with, and and um, so many have just said, you know, like I, it feels unwelcome going into a meeting. Saying it feels it's anonymous type thing. Not only that, I mean, like they don't know about it. Yeah. So because they well, don't exactly. know. Exactly. And that's like when I was younger going into them and then even like building up the courage to go to my first meeting, it was so like, I just, I, because one, I didn't want to admit it. And two, I just, I didn't know what I was going to expect. And then I finally went and it was life-changing. Like I said, the power in that room was unbelievable. But so bring me, bring me on those last few days, you know, like where, where are you at? What it, what does it look like? What does your mornings and your evenings looks like in the past four or five days prior to that day? That I quit. Yeah. Or that I went to a meeting. Well, when I quit, it was another month before I had even gone to a meeting. Shit, you're tough. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so the four days before I quit, it was just before Christmas. So unfortunately, my dad um, has a terminal brain cancer at the moment. And I moved uh, uh, to a different city to live with him for two years. And that was two, um, two Octobers ago. So no, one October ago. It's almost been two years now. And... When I first moved, I was in a really good headspace, but after I had been taken away from, you know, my stability, my home, my life, my friends, my support system, um, I started self-medicating. So I had already known that I had a drinking problem. And then I started serving at a five-star restaurant that's on the Napa Valley's wine spectators list. So our wine list was 11 pages long. And I told myself I had to try them all. So I went and tried them all. And that's what actually um, fueled my, my most recent, you know, downfall into my addiction. And it was... Basically, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. Oh, sorry. My phone's just making noise. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No problem. It's my Google assistant. It tells me my to-do <laughs> list. I'm so sorry about that. Um, so basically, it was up until from April to December of last year that I had slowly started to fall into my habits again. And then by December, I was facing, you know, December is maybe the last December that my dad's going to be alive. I cherish Christmas because when my dad was a commercial fisherman, the one time I knew my family was going to be together was Christmas time. So subconsciously that just, it really like, it's, it's very special to me and facing December as the last December that my dad may be alive. And, you know, the last Christmas that he'll be around for, it was just like, detrimental to my mental health and it was just deteriorating me. So I self-medicated basically every day in December I drank. Um, and then it was Christmas day. I ended up, um, Christmas morning was fine. Christmas up until we went for Christmas dinner, I started drinking and then I went to a Christmas party and in that Christmas party, um, I haven't been doing cocaine since, It wasn't a problem ever since I moved basically to live with my dad 
I got away from the bad crew that was in Vancouver and I was in basically in, in the boonies and you know, it wasn't that big of a problem out there. Um, but at this party, I decided to do a line and I'm pretty sure it was like, I don't know what it was to be honest, but it was disgusting. It made me feel like shit. Um, I continued drinking all night that night and then I passed out on the couch and, um, I woke up on boxing day with the worst hangover I've ever had. And I'm not talking physical. I'm talking mental. This I always used to tell everybody, like, whenever I drank, I'd put myself into a mental flu because mm-hmm. it was never physical. It was always mental. I knew I was always throwing my potential away. So people like my friends would make fun of me all the time because one night out of drinking would put me in my room for four or five days. And it was for them, it was normal. They'd be up and out for breakfast the next morning. But for some reason, like it just, it didn't, it wasn't my calling. Like it just, it didn't fill my soul. And so this boxing day, I woke up and it was like December 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, all of those days I was just hammered. And then it was like that mentality of like knowing that I threw away the most special day of the year and it might've been my dad's last and the mentality that the alcohol I wouldn't have done that line without drinking the alcohol. And like, I, I don't know, like it could have been heroin. It wasn't an upper, it was a downer. And I know that for sure. And like looking back on the situation, like I could have lost my life that night. And it's just, that was the biggest motivation. And then like that mental flu started on the 26th of December and I didn't get out of bed until the 31st. I didn't look at my phone. I refused to talk to anyone. And, you know, like my poor dad who I'm living with and supposed to be taking care of, like he didn't see me for four days because I was locked in my bedroom. And it was like, I just, I didn't show up for myself and I didn't show up for my family. And I just, yeah, like it was, it was enough. I don't know. It was traumatizing. Honestly, it was, I look back at it now and it's like almost triggering because of how traumatic I actually felt. Like, I feel like I have like post-traumatic stress disorder from boxing day, that one hangover. I look back on it and I I would never wish that feeling on anybody. And so what do you do do, during those four days? It's kind of a, is it clear or it's just for you? It's just like a dream state. Just basically a dream state. Like it's like, I can sleep all day no problem sleep all night no problem i wasn't eating i wasn't i maybe drank a liter of water over those four days it was just like i crumbled i hit my bottom and i like i just there was nothing in me to just i don't there was no life to me yeah and like i i don't even like know how better to describe it but it was just it was a very very traumatic event and it was like i'm not telling i'm telling you it wasn't physical it was just completely mental i didn't feel sick i wasn't puking i wasn't dry heaving i wasn't even shaking it was just like i i don't know like i just no no, no i get it you know you i'm know just feeling I'm, like like the worst piece of shit you know i exactly. did the, you know, like, and so that you know like that mental state is just like I can't fucking believe it. You know, like I, again, you know, again, like that's exactly, and you know, then, like that, <laughs> you know, like that's probably the worst fucking word that I said too many times yeah. again, again, what? exactly. 
and that was the feeling. And like, I had a really, really, really bad hangover on October 20th, just, you know, three months prior to that. And I remember that one perfectly too. And, and then I told myself after that one, it was after a concert where I had ditched my best friend to go drink with random people. And then I ended up meeting her at the concert. I fucked her over altogether. And then I woke up the next morning and it was that same feeling, but that one, for whatever reason, it wasn't enough. And it's so crazy. Like I, I cannot tell you what was different on the 26th of December in 2019. I, I, I look back at it and like, I don't know what happened, but something happened. And so what happens when you get out of your room on the 30th? I was just, I, my dad was like, Oh, like you're here. <laughs> and I was like, wow. I'm here. And he was like, I like what, what's going on with you. And I was like, I, I just, I, I actually, I lied to him. I told him I had the flu. Okay. I told him that I was sick. Yeah. Because I didn't want to disappoint him. And it was just, yeah, I just, I, I lied and I didn't want to admit my issue. I'm assuming he knew. I'm sure he knew 100%. He was with me that night at, I mean, like before I went to the Christmas party, we had like a Christmas family dinner together. But the thing with my addiction when I was on uh, Vancouver Island living with him is that I hit it really well. When I came out in September, uh, Labor Day weekend, it was September 3rd, 2019. I came out to my family and told them that I had a drinking problem. And I showed my mom my hoard of 50 wine bottles in my room. And they still brushed it off because I was exercising. I was eating. I was working. I was you know, I, I would go home and I would drink two bottles normal. of wine. You I were... was normal. Exactly. So <laughs> I think they just thought it was more of a cry for attention. What's and the then, problem? <laughs> exactly. Because it's so stigmatized. And you it's still just, got your own. You're still, you're not homeless. Exactly. <laughs> I'm working. I don't call in. I just, because I was functioning hungover. Like I just, I adapted to it. So yep. at first it was like this April and it's so crazy because that year, January and February were probably like my two best mentality. Like I was in the best headspace, and then March. Yeah. January, February, then March came along And I started again to tell myself that, you know what, face, this is how it started. So I told myself that drinking was a part of my personality and that I should embrace it. And then it was March, April, I started getting pretty bad. May, like it was like, it trickled, it trickled. And then by August, I was stopping at the liquor store every single day on my way home from work. And that bottle was opened before I got home. Like I would literally sit in the parking lot of the liquor store. I always had my wine cork or my wine screw on me, my corkscrew. And I would sit in the liquor store parking lot. And I would literally, I'm telling you, I would lean back and like pretend I was looking in my back seat and, and like take a swig before I even got home. So that's how messed up I was. Yeah, you exactly. Are a pro. <laughs> and then when I would get home, I would, I would 
bring a big purse purposely to work so I could hide my wine bottle in my purse when I got home. And then I would wear a big sweater into my kitchen and I would hide the fucking wine glass in my big sweater. So from the get go, it was toxic. Like from the get go, like looking back at that, like I was, I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing it and it was just the easiest thing for me. And I didn't have my support system. I didn't have my friends there because I was only there for a year. So how do you really build up a good enough connection to turn around and tell someone you're an alcoholic and then believe you? Yeah. And so, so you decide from the 30th, you decide that you can't drink anymore. Yeah. Um, you say that there's a month that separate that from you attending a meeting. What happens in that month? In that month, I quit my job. I stayed in bed. I, I, I was serving at, I don't know if you guys have it out East, but in Vancouver, it's called cactus club and it's like the social house. And it's like, you know, the hip spot and everybody goes there for drinks and stuff. So I was working there and every day when I would get off work, I would sit at the bar and start drinking and then I would go home and then come back or go home, get my bottle of wine, drink my bottle of wine, and then come back and do it all again the next day. So as soon as I decided that sobriety needed to be a part of my life, I decided to kick the job. Luckily, I was living with my dad. So and, you know, this by now I've started to kind of, you know, come clean and say, I, I'm ready. You know, I want to quit drinking. But I had said that so many times before that my dad, he would, at first he was really unsupportive of my decision to quit drinking. And I would come home and, you know, at an early hour and he'd be like, Oh, you skipped the bar today. Or, you know, he would just like throw those low blows at me. And it was like really detrimental to my, to my progress because I was trying really fucking hard to stay sober. And then I was coming home and having like these little jabs at me. But I also don't think that he really understood the turmoil that I was facing inside my head and how serious I actually was about uh, sobering up this time and kicking the addiction altogether. So and for some, it's for some, it's kind of a, those are motivation sentences, you know, like, Oh, <laughs> some people know? take it that way. Totally. Yeah. And like, maybe that's how my dad, you know, responds to those types of messages. But me, I'm a super sensitive person. I'm super emotional. And everything that every, like that somebody says to me, I take it, like I process it. In like some, a sponge. Exactly. I internalize everything. So yeah. it was, it kind of sucked. And it was like, okay, like I'm like treading on water and he's kicking me down type thing. <laughs> But then I started actually reacting very, very, very negatively because I had taken out, taken out my coping mechanism and I didn't replace it with anything. I hadn't gone to a meeting, right? I didn't find my sponsor. I didn't have like sobriety wasn't even a topic on my mind. It was just something needs to change. And right now I'm quitting drinking and like drinking needs to go. And then I started getting having really bad, like almost like bipolar episodes where I was super manic one day or I was, I'd be really, really manic, really, really high. And then I remember one day I was cooking eggs and my dad said something to me that just completely set me off. I went into my bedroom and I smashed a lamp. I smashed my coffee pot. I smashed a mirror. And this was in that one, like my first month of sobriety. Right. 
And then I go to run out my balcony door and I'm like, what's running through my head is like, Hey, like this is that I'm done. Like I'm going to jump off the house and I'm going to kill myself like this. I'm, I'm done with this. Like I just, I can't do it anymore. And then I went to the hospital or sorry, this, this time I was in the clinic and I knew luckily in Parksville, they have really phenomenal mental health um, support and tons of resources. So they had a nurse practitioner who was in every Monday and Wednesday from two till whatever. And you can go in and basically see her for free. And she would refer you to a, a like a clinical cl- counselor. So I went in and saw her that day. I had my dad drive me in because I was just like, I'm losing it. I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm going to kill myself. Like I need to get in right now. So I went and talked to her and she referred me over to the counselor and I got right in that day and spoke with this counselor. And I just, I broke down and I was like, my life is in shambles. I quit drinking and nothing's gotten better. Like I'm, I'm not I'm not responding in the way that I thought I would respond. And now like my mental health is shit. Like all I want to do is drink. I just need a fucking drink right now. And she basically, she opened up a book and she's like, these are all the meetings that they have in, in the area that I was living in. And unfortunately the population was really small. There was 10,000 people between the two towns. Um, so sobriety um resources were kind of scarce so i had like four meetings a week to pick out of and then i I found one and i went to it and at first i was so nervous i was like this is really i don't want to be an alcoholic that was the one thing i don't want to be exactly i was still somewhat in denial and then i went to the meeting and it was life-changing but this was now we're, we're basically walking into february now and a month later i had moved back to vancouver and then the pandemic happened so i actually only went to three meetings by myself like myself during my whole sobriety right now i've been in three meetings that's crazy and it's just it gave me the ability to acknowledge my condition as an alcoholic and just the fact that there are other people out there. And like you said at the beginning, like you bring all these alcoholics in this one room and we use this energy on our own to go fuck up our lives. And then when you bring us together, it's like a life, like it's, it's life changing. Yeah. And, and it, yeah. And the, the, the energy that comes out of these places, you said it best, you know, like it's, it's, um, it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's not, well, it's obviously just not one person. It's, it's just like the, the symbiotic effect of having, you know, like from, from a perspective of some others, you know, like a bunch of losers together and, exactly. you know, you know it, it, it's so weird, you know, like it's so, so bizarre. And at the same time, so, uh, touching to see that. But um, I think like at the end of the day, when you look at the whole picture, you know, all those people in that room know that there's something wrong. Yep. 90, so, 90%, let's say 90%. Of no, the no, no, exactly. Yeah. And not, not only that, I mean, like the, 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 um, I would say that you are blessed that within three meetings that the place that you attended or the places you attended were open and welcoming enough to give you, well, pretty much throw a few blocks of foundation your way. 
Exactly. You know, you know, and so you you hear a lot about people, and I think it's important for listeners that you know, like, do attend meetings, and um, that you know, like, you need not only to find a meeting that fits you, but to you know, like, some people would say, you know, like, that they spend years not talking to anyone, like you know, like being like at the far end back of the of the meeting room and not talk to anyone, and you know, like, not share and not not interact. Um, well. You're a great example, Shay, of, you know, like if you had done that, sitting in the back of the room, not talking to anyone, you would have had any tools to handle the next 90 days, you yeah. know, like, so, or, or, or more. Um, and because of that, you know, like you, you probably attended fantastic places, which, you know, like has, has welcomed you with open arms and just like talk to us let's let me give you my number let me take yours i'm going to call you reach out and you know and so on and so forth um and in your case my guess is that that was vital it was vital keeping you know like to to your sobriety you know like so so um i'm i'm super grateful because you know like i i can't i can definitely attest that you know like you don't see that in every meeting and not only that, you know, like I, I, you know, like I'm part responsible of that, which is like, you know, like you have your, you know, like you kind of the rhythm of your life, you know, like the, which goes a hundred miles an hour. Um, you go at the meeting, you sit, you attend, you get the fuck out. You know, like you, you don't have time. You know, like you, you, but you know, and and God bless the people that do take the time exactly. for the newcomers, and you know, because you know, like they actually save lives. You know, like so. And the biggest takeaway for me was like in that first month, I still wasn't identifying as an alcoholic. And in that first month, the only thing I changed was the alcohol. I didn't change. I didn't address any of the issues that I had from my upbringing, from my mom coming back, from my sister being born, from my brother starting to dabble with drugs and alcohol, from my dad, you know, I grew up in his house till I was 13 and then he moved two, three hours away, like that, all of the, and growing up with an alcoholic stepdad. And I moved out when I was 18 years old out on my own. Like I didn't address any of those issues and going into the meeting. I think that really helped shift my focus because I heard a story about another woman who had gone through somewhat of the same shit. We all go through somewhat of the same shit. Right. Yep. And it was just, it was eye-opening to me that there was somebody else out there like me and it just helped me identify with myself and admit to my faults and admit to being an alcoholic and just being able I remember I had this lady this woman who's in my life she's a huge part of my life I started working for her when I was 18 and she was an alcoholic and I worked for her for two years and I had no idea that she was an alcoholic um she Basically, she saw the potential in me and this woman, I call her my fairy godmother. She was, she, I had three mentors and she was one of them. And basically she kept telling me, she's like, I'm an alcoholic. I can see an alcoholic when, I mean, I know an alcoholic when I see one. And she would always tell me like, no, I I recognize your behaviors as alcoholic behaviors. I recognize your behaviors as alcoholic behaviors because I was always telling her how much I didn't want to drink, but not following along with my actions, or sorry, my actions didn't follow along with my words. So she was, she really pushed it on me to identify as an alcoholic, but it bothered me because I just did not want to. And then 
I was in denial, 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 denial. And then going into this meeting and then having this woman tell her story and then identify as an alcoholic, I thought about every goddamn situation that Brigitte, the, my mentor, like my fairy godmother, that she, that she instilled in my brain. And I looked back and I'm like, she's fucking right. And that was like the, the like mind blown. And I was like, I'm a fucking alcoholic. I need to address, like there are like internal issues that I need to address before I'm going to be able to overcome this disease. And at the same time, you know, like I, I tend to say, uh, someone once asked me, you know, like, what are the tricks? You know, like, you know, like the, you know, for a newcomer, you know, like the first thing I say is that like, give yourself a fucking break. That's you what know, like she if, would if, tell me all the time too. You know, like, you know, like give yourself a break. You know, like you, you, you are actually right this second, not using, and that's a blessing. Exactly. So let's keep it for today this hour, this next five minutes and give yourself a break of already doing that right now. Now, the next thing I'd say is, you know, like, as quickly as possible, find someone that you, you that you're intimate enough to share. Talk about these moments where you feel like you'd like a drink or you'd like to use and find quickly someone that you get, even if for to for right now it is anyone you're like your best friend or whoever find someone that you can spit out what's actually holding you up inside exactly you know? and being able to identify those internal issues like that's like the first step in overcoming this because i was and drinking for a yeah. reason yeah and then you can peel the onion exactly you know, like and then you can peel the onion but for now just don't don't use if it's a minute at a time, just don't use right now and find someone that you can actually spit and vomit what's making you so fucking angry right now. And just look at it as one day at a time. Like I exactly. just take it one day at a time and just know that like just understanding that I was worthy. The One of the biggest issues with my development and like through teenage years and a young adulthood was that I always seeked, I was, I'm codependent. I'm so codependent and I always seeked, um, the validation from men. And one of my, one of my issues with drinking was that I, you know, I felt like I was attractive when I was drunk. And it was like the only time that I really felt like guys were like attracted to me and like, what kind of a mentality is that? And then just, you know, getting myself to the place where like, I'm so much more worthy than a drunk girl. And somebody is going to love me when I'm like, aside from me, my alcoholism. But because it was so prevalent in my upbringing, like I said, it was glamorized. It was, yeah. it made me feel like I was a part of something. And it's just, it's so toxic. But like, like I said, it wasn't until recently with the journaling and the constant reminders and the progress and seeing how much my life has changed that I really got to the point where I felt like I was worthy of being sober. And for a while it's empowering. Exactly. You know, like that's the, that's the thing, you know, like it's that, um, I was talking about the, the social lubricant. I, I, I have a tendency to be pretty much like a shy introvert, you know, Me too. Alcohol, 100%. alcohol was fantastic for that. Um, because it made me kind of the outgoing guy, um, pot 
was quite the opposite, but I, I enjoyed living in my world on pot, you know, like, so it was kind of, um, so, you know, like, so drunk, I would be more the party animal, um, stone on pot. I would actually be an introvert enjoying being an introvert, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like, like, okay, I, you know, like, okay, I, I don't see anyone, but I don't care because it's my world and I enjoy that, that fantastic world that I have. Anyways, it was fucked up, but, um, it made it bearable, but it's empowering in either case it's empowering. Um, and so when you, when you leave that, um, you know, like it, it's kind of, um, it's like your fuel, you, it's your fuel to yeah. feel normal. Yeah. And it, 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 it's finding new ways. And, and, and sometimes it's about, again, you know, like, a, it's about embracing these things, you know, like embracing these qualities or these, um, aspect of you, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, like I tend to be an introvert when I talk to people, when I'm on one-on-one, -on -one, I'm nothing of an introvert. Um, I'm exactly the same way. You know, so when I create connection and so I, I then realize that maybe it's because I don't enjoy like huge social Event shitty or, event yeah, if you exactly. if you ask me you know like those are shitty event you know like but but you know like a lot of people like that you know like the networking and the quote unquote and the you know like the socializing i, I don't socialize i don't fucking care about other people's life i'm sorry but you know like i <laughs> when i say that exact i say same way. as a mass you know yeah. <laughs> as a mass i'm interested in your story shay as i was in, in james story last week as i was in rigging me and Anne Sophie two weeks prior as I'm interested in each individual on which I sit down but as a mass having those hey how's the fucking weather and hey so rainy these days huh you know like I you know like it, it makes me go mad you know like I'm, I just want to say who gives a fuck about the weather <laughs> me too okay so it's really funny I actually had to block somebody on social media because their their messages were so non-intellectual and like it was like hey how are you how's your day going what are you doing today and it's like yeah. those i and that's what happens when you go to this big social event unless it's one a meeting or if it's an expo i think expos and meetings they are always targeted around like a a theme i guess other if yeah. there's no theme to the event it's probably gonna be really painful Bad. to attend exactly yeah. because Bad. there's going to be a bunch of people who don't have the same interests who aren't going to be talking about the things that they like and it's it, it's a waste of my energy it's a waste of my time yeah and there's no common ground there, exactly of, there's no common ground know, and so you can't find you know like any common interest and and it becomes and and to be quite fair i think i have i would say at top a handful of really, really close friends, but these guys are just priceless. Yeah. You know, like, so I, I do have a sponsor. He's much older than I am. He has like 40 something years of sobriety. Amazing. That guy is just like a, you know, like, you know, like the analogy would be Yoda, yeah. you know, like that, you know, like just like, just <laughs> so much fucking wisdom that, you know, like it's, and it's not, it's, um, not a bragging wisdom. It's just that he's 78, you know, like, so what else could he have but wisdom? Exactly. You know, like, so, 
Um, it's a powerful so, energy that like you can absorb it's and crazy. And you know, like still just right before the pandemic, he was still doing three to four meetings a week. You know, like so that that guy is so that's implicated. Amazing. And, and, just crazy. And right now he's doing like a, every Tuesday he, do, he does his own therapy, um, on zoom. And, you know, like he has asked me to be, you know, like handling most of the technology part because, you know, like he's not too familiar with it. And so, um, crazy. He does exactly. like the whiteboarding and just, <coughs> and so the, the, um, in terms of that, the closest friends that I have, it's so tightly knit that um, out of the, hey, what's up? I know precisely how my buddy's doing. Same for him. And so when we went through tough times or when they went through tough times, it was just a matter of, you know, like having a few minutes conversation and just calling like the next buddy saying, hey, just call him a few times today because, you know, like he's not doing okay. Exactly. Um, and so... But at the same time, when I was at my darkest hours of my life, these guys were the most, well, from an outside eye, the rudest, most hardcore assholes. You know, they but taking it was your shit. Fuck off, you know, like, and, and they were just like the toughest crowd of me complaining about how bad my life was, you know, like, so it would say, shut the fuck up, you know, like, and, and, but I needed that, you know, yeah. like, I'm, I, I, I needed that kind of blunt force shaking me out of the bed and shaking me out, you know, uh, it's like, of my what are you complaining zone. for when you can change something about it? Right. Yeah. yeah. And just like hitting me with the darkest humor and the darkest, like, just so rude, <laughs> shit you know like, and, so and, rudely motivating same, yeah yeah and 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 it you know like the um in 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 quebec the, there used to be a time where uh meetings were like that you know like like sit your fucking ass down shut up and listen exactly. and, you know like we've it, it has changed since but i do understand that you know like a sometime it's needed to have like that a bit blunt force reality check hit in your face and um, last thing I'm going to ask Shay is, you know, like since then, um, I guess, you know, like the pandemic has, has created a bit of a shitstorm in, in that, but you talked about, you know, like looking in other path and direction for, uh, self-improvement and all. Can you, can you elaborate and explain to me, um, what you did and how are you doing now? And, you know, like what's your day-to-day -day life like? So basically the pandemic really helped me in the sense that I didn't have the social triggers, and like, I wasn't invited out. So I'm actually really, I kind of blame my ability to have not attended meetings on the ability to stay introverted and just away from my triggers. So that was really beneficial for me. And with my self-development, basically, um, my path now, I studied for my, so I've been a fitness fanatic since I was 17, since the year that I sobered up, I really felt passionate about health and nutrition. And so I got my personal training certificate when I was uh, 19. And then I got my sports nutrition diploma into the, in October, 2018. So just before I had moved to stay with my dad and I did nothing with those from like, I studied them because it was something that I was passionate about, but I didn't have the right vision. 
because I would have rather been serving in a restaurant where I could get hammered after work because that was where I was directing my energy to that devil, right? Not the angel. (laughs) So I now what my focus is and as well as um, kind of I want, I'm going to wait until I'm a year sober, but I want to start, um, like I said, mentoring. I want to become a sobriety coach and I enrolled in my health coaching certification through the American council on exercise, which is based around, um, empowering individuals with limiting behaviors to recognize their values and their belief, like their better, like basically change their belief system and empower them into making healthy lifestyle changes. So basically I went from leading a very toxic, very unhealthy lifestyle. Like even my skin is thanking me because I looked like a train wreck December 26th. Like I looked like a train wreck on October 20th. I looked like a train wreck on, you know, on Labor Day weekend. And I just, I'm nurturing that other side of me where now I can put forth all of my education into my own life so I can, you know, eat better. I'm exercising. And with the behavior change uh, course that I'm doing, I'm actually able to target my own behaviors and my own beliefs. So it's the journaling, the just like having the vision of where I want to go now, because before I never had that vision and feeling how my life and my health have improved in the last six months. I actually just, I did my first um, fitness clothing brand photo shoot last night that I was invited onto through Instagram because I've been sharing my story. So that's where I'm at six months ago. That's crazy. Exactly. And they invited me back on Wednesday and I have another photo shoot on, on Saturday now. And I get to be a part of this wonderful podcast. And, you know, it's just, just, I want to spread this energy to help other people. Yep. And that's, I like, I love it. You know, like I, I, I love it because it's, um, we have no idea, you know, like of how, well, we, if, if we open our mind to how much energy we spend in using exactly and realize that, you know, like if we take just an ounce of that, you know, bad, Bad expression here, but you know, like just a quarter. <laughs> a milliliter. <laughs> I, exactly. I don't want to trigger anyone. You know, like just announce. Fuck, you talked about announce. Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but just like a tenth of, you know, like that, that energy spent in the good direction creates. So out of the 10 something years that you used, just six months of focusing on on good stuff and good vibes brings all of what you just described exactly you know and so um when i say to people give yourself a break much sooner than you can even imagine you're gonna see like the first benefic repercussion of your sobriety exactly so quickly i promise i am i am the proof that if you alter that energy from your addiction into your success, it like your life will change. I'm so, and yeah. all of these opportunities that are arising for me now, they're just even more fucking motivating to stay sober and to keep, you know, 
sharing my story and exposing myself and, you know, admitting my faults and being one thing that I think is really important is being fucking brutally honest with yourself. Look at yourself and admit to yourself. I can look back on the past 10 years and tell myself that I was making the shittiest fucking decisions that put me into the shittiest hellhole that I had ever been in. And it was my own fucking decision. Yep. And looking at it like that and recognizing it for yourself, it like it's just it's life changing to admit and your just, fault. Just and just drawing a path, you know, like you, you what you did in the last six months is to actually draw yourself a path, just because there wasn't any path. None. So you know, like, and so the moment you start drawing a path. You now have like a baseline on which you can say you can evaluate successes and failures. And I say failures, which are translated to experiences to to learn on. Exactly. You know, like so so, you know, like um since you do have a baseline, well, it's not everything that looks like a failure. It's not everything that looks like a success. You can modestly say, well, this, okay either bad move or you know like it, it hasn't created the effect i wanted and next you know like and then you move on but you do have that path you know like you just said it you know like i want to be mentoring i want to be sober coaching i want to be this and that that's phenomenal that's that is a path exactly you know like and and so if i if i do think about me um i stopped at 30 and before that it was just like whatever you know like whatever you know and and then there wasn't nothing drawn exactly there was no motivation like nothing to keep you going there's no objectives you know like you don't fucking know where you're going exactly and that (laughs) in my first month of sobriety that's i felt like what the fuck am i making this change for nothing's getting better (laughs) exactly and where am i going with that that, you know like i was going nowhere but at least the joy the 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 ride was fun i was drunk exactly (laughs) and then as soon as like i said i admitted my alcoholism and then i set a plan and the path. And I just, I started, it's journaling. Journaling is life changing. If you have any internal issues, external issues, write it down, identify it, identify your emotions and why like the triggers with how you're feeling. And that's your first step into changing your life. Yeah. I'm so huge on journaling. I tell everybody to write their shit down. (laughs) (laughs) Shay, I cannot thank you enough. You know, like I, 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 I do say the same thing every single time I do have a guest on board. I am a pure fucking strangers, uh, stranger to pretty much the most majority of the people I do reach out to. You, you people don't fucking know me. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you for this opportunity. And no, like it's the what you're doing right now is so fucking huge to allow people to share their stories. And like, it's not just the long time sobriety, like, you know, the addicts who are, who have been sober. It's thank you for inviting me on within, with only six months of sobriety. But it's not about that. You know, like for me, it's always been kind of a huge debate, you know, like within the fraternities themselves, you know, like about, oh yeah, but you need one year and you need it. No, 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 no. For me, the moment you admit it, the moment you admit you have a problem, I can learn, we can, everyone can learn from each other from that moment on. That's what I'm telling you. you. That moment is, that 
was life, that moment was life changing for me. And that meeting when the lady was explaining her situation and I identified perfectly with her situation. And I admitted to myself, I'm a fucking alcoholic. And then I heard Brigitte's voice, the woman who I worked for, for five years into the back of my head, constantly telling me I was an alcoholic and me constantly fucking fighting it. I wish I admitted it the first time she told me, you know? Yeah. And, and for me, it's just, uh, like I said, you know, like I, 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 I take chances. I reach out on Instagram and whatever social media platform and you, 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 you people accept and you yeah. people embark on that journey. And for me, it's just, uh, it's humbling. It's, 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 um, touching and, uh, can't thank you enough, Shay, to be part of that. Absolutely. You know, I can't uh, thank you enough for allowing me to be a part of it as well. Last thing I'm going to ask you, where can people find you? You know, like I, I, I found you because you're, you're quite on the Instagram yep. train and you know, like you, you, you inspire others. Where can people find you? So Instagram is probably the number one platform that I use. So, um, my Instagram name is S S H A Y M A R I E E. Um, I also have a business Instagram and it's soulful S O U L F U L L with Shay. Um, Facebook, I'm Shay Newman. I'm not as active on Facebook um, as I am on Instagram, but I will actually be starting a business page on Facebook that I will be a little bit more um, active on. But that will be shared on my Instagram when it does come through. Awesome. I also, and, and also so I want to share my email. My email is just. Yep. S-H-A-Y-L-E-E-N-E-U-M-A-N at hotmail.com. I am so open to sharing stories and journeys and hearing anybody else's or even if someone's just looking for support. Awesome. And and so if you go down to the description of that episode with Che, you're going to find all of these links, the email address and both of the social media uh, links are Everything that she's going to send my way, I'm going to be publishing on the, the podcast episode description. Again, Shay, thanks for your time. It was quite a nice and awesome ride. And um, yeah, I mean, like I, I, I just wish you the best. Um, you know, like I, the world is at our feet. It's just for us to see it, you know, like, a, you know, like that's all I'm going to say. Exactly. This is, you know, what? like I'm so fulfilled right now. I'm an introvert and I just re, you know, filled my spirit with all the f fucking awesome energy. Like this was probably the best <laughs> talk I've had this, this month for sure. Thanks a lot. Okay. Take care. Thank Shay. you. Okay. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.